0: W-D-B-M, East Lansing.
1: Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boodoo
0: and Daniel Puentes.
1: Though we've had episodes in the past with the interactions with the gut-brain microbiome, we haven't had an episode discussing how anesthesia may affect the gut and the brain. So today we're talking to Charlotte Best to tell us more about her research. Hi, Charlotte. Thanks for joining us. May you please tell us more about your research? Thank you guys
2: for having me. I work in a lab that uses mice to study the effect of the microbiome, so all the bacteria in our gut, on our brain. And in doing this, I also found a link between anesthesia and the brain.
0: It's nice to meet you, Charlotte. When it comes to anesthesia, can you explain what type of anesthesia you're working with and how does it interact with the stomach and the brain?
2: Yeah. So because I work with uh, mice, we put them in MRI, which is this big machine that scans your brain. And because mice are pretty active, we need to get them to basically go to sleep so that we can put them in the MRI. So the anesthesia that we use, and anesthesia is a kind of medicine that makes you fall asleep, makes you not feel any pain, etc. We give that anesthesia to the mice so that they can be calm enough for us to put them in the MRI. And what we found is that this anesthesia that we used can impact certain cells in the brain in a negative way. So that's something to consider in future research.
1: The anesthesia was something that you all used to help calm the mice down. Did this anesthesia put them to sleep or were they still awake for it? So the anesthesia was to put them to sleep so that they would be
2: lying still in the MRI. You know, we don't have to strap them down and cause them unnecessary stress. And you are correct in that our findings with the anesthesia were not what we were initially looking for. I noticed some differences in the mice brains that I was looking at. And I asked, "Okay, what are the differences between these mice? You know, why might they be different? And we realized, oh, some of them had the anesthesia and some of them didn't. So we kind of used that as a bouncing point.
0: I know that when it comes to larger animals or even people, sometimes there could be a concern, depending on how old the person is, about administering anesthesia for different medical procedures. Is there any risk of using anesthesia on the mice that are already known about?
2: Currently, there is research that shows that the types of anesthesia used can impact certain brain cells in very young mice but this is the first research that we have found that shows this effect in older mice. In terms of our lab mice though, they were sacrificed shortly after the MRI, so it's not gonna play a big role, but if we can confirm these results in future studies, it would change how we treat mice in research.
1: One of our very first episodes was discussing MRIs. Now, it's been years at this point, Can you please refresh our audience on what is an MRI and what were you looking for with these mice?
2: Yeah, so an MRI stands for Magnetic Resonance Imaging. And while I'm not sure of the kind of particular mechanics of it, it basically uses some really big magnets that whirl around your head or whatever body part you want to scan. And it gives you a look on the inside of the body. So in this case, we were looking at the brains of the mice, but MRIs can be used for humans. You know, if you have a broken bone or they want to make sure that everything in your brain is okay, they can use an MRI to see inside your body.
0: I may have mentioned in a previous episode, but I've actually also had an MRI in my lifetime as well, where I had to get imaging done for my shoulder after a wrestling practice. Since all of the mice have to be given anesthesia before taking an MRI, How do you actually gain a control from those mice? How do you actually keep the mice still in the MRI machine?
2: So the only mice that we put in the MRI are ones that are anesthetized. And we see these brain differences not from the MRI scans, but from a different type of scan called an electron microscopy scan that is after sacrifice. So some of the mice went through the MRI for a different type of information we were looking for, and some of the mice didn't. And in the information from the electron microscopy scans, that's where we were able to see that there was a
1: difference. Okay, that makes sense. What are you specifically investigating? Are you curious about specifically the stomach or parts of the brain?
2: Yeah, so we use the electron microscopy scans to look at the brain. And in particular, we're looking at axons or nerve cells inside the brain. And within that, we're looking at something called myelin. So myelin is this kind of fatty, oily substance that covers our nerve cells, and it allows for messages to be sent faster between one cell to the other. And we're looking at the impact of the gut, so the bacteria in our stomach and in our colon, on that myelin. And by chance, we found that the mice who had been anesthetized had differences compared to the mice that hadn't been in their myelin.
0: This is actually the first time I've ever learned about myelin. Since it is an oily substance, however, how are you able to actually determine whether or not this liquid is covering the brain cells?
2: Myelin is not actually a liquid. Think of it more like kind of a sheet. You know, a sheet of fat on your body would cover your stomach or your legs. It's almost like a very tiny sheet of fat covering the brain cells. So in the electron scans, we can actually see these individual layers. And part of my research involved counting each and every layer surrounding the nerve cell.
1: Are you able to view this under the microscope by staining the cells or the slices of the brain? We do not stain
2: the slices before we send them to the scanner, the electron microscopy scanner. The folks who do the scanning are able to just take those brain slices, focus in on the things that we're looking for, and then they send us back the images.
0: That helps me visualize it better knowing that it's more of a sheet rather than a liquid. However, how is the application of anesthesia and its relationship to the brain related to the stomach?
2: The initial goal of this study was to look at the differences that our gut can have on our brain. And we did actually find that mice who had certain bacteria had thicker myelin sheaths. So the myelin sheath is kind of that overall layer around the nerve. So some mice who had specific bacteria had thicker layers than other mice with different bacteria. And this myelin plays a role in different behaviors. So for example, anxiety or autism, and there's also a link between the gut and these disorders. So looking at how the bacteria influence your brain, which influences your behavior, can allow us to further study these. The impact of the anesthesia was a bit of a byproduct that we found, but nonetheless is something that I think is important and exciting.
1: So to clarify, are you also taking sections of the stomach of these mice, or are you maybe doing this in a genetic analysis where you're comparing the genes if they're going up or down based off of the anesthesia?
2: Yeah, so I would like to kind of reiterate that the component is not the main component of what I research. It was just an interesting byproduct. But in regards to looking at the gut, we do take samples from the colon and we also take fecal samples. So we take the poop of the mice and we run both of those through a variety of analyses to look at what types of bacteria are actually in the gut of the mice. And then we look at those with the results from the brain and compare them to see if the bacteria actually plays a role. So we use ELISA for the genotyping, I believe, and then we freeze the portions of the colon and the intestines, and then those are also sent in for genetic testing.
0: It's interesting to hear about this relationship that the gut microbiome has to the development of myelin inside of the brain. How is the gut microbiome being changed and controlled, though, in these mice? Are you feeding them certain kinds of foods? What kinds of processes are involved there?
2: that's a great question. So what we do is, it's kind of gross, but we actually take fecal samples from human infants. So we take, you know, poop samples from infants, and we run them through some slurries and some different kind of purification methods to isolate the bacteria that we want. And throughout, we test genetically to make sure that this is the right bacteria. And then what we do is we do something called a fecal microbiota transplant, basically where we're giving those bacteria to a pregnant mouse. And then when her pups are born, they're going to have higher levels of that desired bacteria in their system.
1: How do you give the pregnant mouse these bacteria? Do they eat it or do you inject it? We use an injected inoculum. And is it safe considering that they're pregnant? It is.
2: Everything has been approved by institutional review boards, and we also have a team of folks at MSU who make sure that all research being done on any animal is safe and is not going to harm the animal. And this, has been, this technique has been done in many studies before, and none of the pregnant mice have been harmed because of it.
0: So you take these fecal samples from the infants and you introduce them into the gut microbiomes of these mice. How was your work on the development of myelin in the brain translated into, rec- into human studies? Is it the fact that you're taking these fecal samples from humans in the first place to then introduce into the mice gut microbiome?
1: Yeah.
2: So there's already a ton of awesome research in humans and myelin in relation to various mental illnesses and also their role in the gut microbiome brain axis. And that's actually one of those studies was where we got the fecal samples from the infants. They were from a study on the effect of the gut microbiome on anxiety. And right now there's some of the things that we can do with mice we can't quite do with humans yet. You know, we can't really give a human another microbiome in a large scale. But down the road, if we are able to learn more about how our gut impacts our brain and how that impacts our behavior, we
1: can try and develop better treatments for mental illnesses. So Charlotte, I realize that we haven't asked you yet, what results have you taken away from these experiments that you've been conducting? So we found three pretty
2: interesting results. A first result, which is in relation to the different bacteria, is we found that mice who have bacteria that tend to make them more anxious cause decreases in the thickness of that myelin surrounding their axons. And this is something that we see in other studies, so it's good to know that that's confirmed. Something else we were able to confirm was that mice have something called seasonal changes, We had a few different cohorts of mice or batches that we used in this experiment. Two of them were in the fall, one was in the spring, and we found that they also had different thicknesses in their myelin, and we link that to seasonal changes in mice. They can change their physiology on a seasonal cycle. And perhaps the most interesting result was we found that mice who had undergone MRI and had that anesthesia they had significantly more damage to their myelin than the mice who hadn't. So this is something that we haven't seen before in scientific research. And if we're able to continue to confirm that through future studies, it could change the way that we treat mice and that we treat humans in regards to anesthetics.
1: The results of your experiment are really interesting because it makes me wonder, how did anesthesia affect other neuroscience experiments with mice? Whenever you were doing this, did you only give them anesthesia once, or was this numerous times?
2: So the mice that did undergo MRI and did undergo anesthesia were given anesthesia twice. They were given anesthesia once before they went in the MRI, and then when they were sacrificed, they were given a different type of anesthesia to end their lives the mice who didn't undergo the MRI only got the anesthesia to end their lives. So in this case, there would be sort of a control where the mice only differ in whether or not they got the MRI anesthesia.
0: Well, thanks a lot, Charlotte, for coming in to talk to us today about this really interesting work that you're doing on the relationship between myelin development and the gut microbiome. We wish you good luck with the rest of your undergraduate research, and thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org.
0: If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.